Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now all right for all you podcast nerds out there i'd like to remind you real quick and fast so you can get paid to actually listen to podcasts yeah you heard me right Go to uh, your Google Play Store, your Android Store, wherever you get your apps, and download an app called PodCoin. And you can actually earn money, real money, gift cards, all that good stuff, Starbucks, Target, all that good stuff, as you listen to podcasts. And all you have to do is listen. You don't have to do anything special, but I can get you started right off the bat by entering promo code COMICS after you download the app. And I'll... We'll just hook you up with 300 coins right off the bat. Start earning immediately. And it's not just Cheers to Comics on there. All your other favorite podcasts are on there as well. So as soon as you're done listening to the latest episode of this podcast, go over and listen to all your other favorites and continue to earn. So use promo code COMICS, download the app, and... Yeah, get yourself some money. You could also donate to charity as well. So whether it's for kids or animals or whatever, you can do all that good stuff. So feel good about yourself listening to a podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 39 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. I'm Brian Wayne, and this week I'll be going over all of the books released on the 10th of July 2019, as well as talking about anything else relevant to the world of comic books. So full disclosure, this is sprinkled with spoilers, and I do curse a lot. So, if you're cool with all that. Grab yourselves a beverage, and let's talk comic books. First, I got a little bit of news to go over. Mostly about uh, future comic announcements. One of them being John Carpenter. John Carpenter's writing a comic book, co-writing it with Anthony Birch. Art's going to be with Philip Tan. And, uh... Oh, Mark Daring. Sorry about that. Um, well, what's he writing? Ah, uh, Joker book. Motherfucking Joker. Well, I guess it's... It's not really a Joker book. It's You're the Villain, number one, but it's it's, it's a Joker book. Well, it's not, I don't think it's coming out till October either. So, DC's really serious about this year of the villain thing. They're, they're, it looks like they're going to drag it out for a whole year. And we're not going to get a number one of this year of the villain thing until October. So it's... Yeah, yeah, you see where I'm going there. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited to see what John Carpenter could do with the comic, no doubt. I have... I mean every inclination it's going to be dark and creepy and yeah and i mean philip tan throws down on the arts and pencils and whatnot so i'm expecting it to be good i'm just not super excited about a a year-long dc event is all because at this point in time if you're not reading every single dc title you're missing something with this story And because I'm not reading Supergirl or a couple other ones, yeah, I've already missed stuff. (laughs) What's going on with... Yeah, that's a whole different thing. But the fact is, is that John Carpenter is fixing to make a comic book. Uh, More DC news announcements. Got a couple of Black Label books by Jeff Lemire. So the first one Jeff Lemire is going to be writing is with Andre Sorrentino. And it's this is going to be a Joker book, and it's Killer Smile. Joker Killer Smile is going to be the name of it. Uh, I don't really know what it's about, but it's go- supposed to be a dark, creepy new take on the Joker. So it's Jeff Lemire, so I'm sure it's going to be uh, pretty awesome. And the other one he's doing is taking on the question. So it's going to be Jeff Lemire, uh, Dennis Cowan, and Bill Sankowitz. 
So that's kind of a big deal, right? So the question, death, deaths of Vic Sage. So, yeah, look at that. DC Black Label stuff. I've dug all the Black Label stuff. I haven't been disappointed, not even a little bit, since they came out with Bat Dick. I've been all about I mean, it's not because of Bat Dick. It just so happens the... What? Um, carrying on to the overviews. <laughs> let's Let's just flow right into DC, shall we? The first book I would like to talk about this week is Event Leviathan, number two. This book is crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. I love that team up. Uh, covered by Alex Maleev. So essentially, I, I, w before I get all the way into this, uh, Event Leviathan I expected to be a heavy Superman story. And, well, this is seeming to be more of a Batman-driven story. And it's not just Bat Family. There, there's others involved. We got um, Mr. Plastic and The Question and Green Arrow. So, yeah, no, it's... Whew. So it starts out with Batman and Red Hood. They're on this little team-up thing, and essentially the question is, is all of the destruction being left behind in all these Leviathan events, there are no bodies left behind. And that's... That's kind of fucking weird. So, uh, and at this point in time, still nobody has any idea who Leviathan is. It's it's all a big question. And it really does play into the part of Brian Michael Bendis' promise of this being a detective type of story. And, uh, or a detective mystery thriller type of thing. And that's that's what I'm getting out of this. So, Batman and Red Hood, they're, they're dialoguing up on the, on the roofs of Gatham. And, like I said, the question is, is why aren't any bodies being left behind? And Batman explains to Red Hood, look, I got a, I got a team of detectives all up in this shit. So we got Plastic Man and the question and Green Arrow, like I said. And they're all on different tasks. And so then we, we go over to the question, and he's hiding in the, the hospital room of... Um, uh, Sam Lane, Lois Lane's dad, and he he was he was spared by Leviathan, and and you know it's thought to be that he's supposed to be the messenger, you know, this is how bad Leviathan could be type of thing, leave one survivor, so still no bodies, well, at least dead bodies, but there was one spared, and the question's hiding out in his room in the corner, just seeing who may be paying a visit. Well, someone pops in and. I don't remember how the question comes out of play here, but Sam Lane just shoots as soon as somebody walks in the room, thinking it's Leviathan. And that might be actually what makes the question bounce out, thinking, well, I can't be caught in this fucking hospital room with those gunshots going off. So he pieces, doesn't get the chance to find out who actually is, is shot. But as it turns out, um, we, we, we do get to learn that. Uh, Batman sends Plastic Man to the morgue, to get an ID on the body, and while he's there, Leviathan shows up, and we get this <laughs> goofy, and, but still very entertaining and well-thought-out dialogue between the two, and it's Leviathan sparing Plastic Man, and saying, you know, this, yeah, yeah he, for whatever reason, everything's still a mystery at this point, so... Yeah, so Plastic Man gets spared, but he drops this one clue saying, you know who I am. You remember me from the Justice League. And that's the only clue we get. So we don't, I don't know what to, was Leviathan a member of the Justice League at one point? Or was this guy somebody that the Justice League crossed paths with while Plastic Man was playing around with the Justice League? I don't know. That's, that's the only clue we get there. But, whew. It's a, it's definitely something to, to hold on to. So then we go back to uh, Batman and Jason Todd. And as Batman's explaining, look, we, we don't have any witnesses. Uh, there's Everything's a big mystery. And it kind of dawns on Jason Todd that, oh shit, am I a suspect right now? And as he's thinking that, all the detective motherfuckers show up and he just bounces. Peace, I'm out. 
So we don't know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, he, he says that he's not Leviathan, but he runs away. But at the same time, it is Jason Todd. It wouldn't necessarily be totally out of character, even if he was innocent to run away when you got Batman and all them motherfuckers after you. So, yeah, that's that's how the end of that goes. I enjoyed this story very, very much. Alex Maleev kills it on the art, as he always does. Uh, it's... There's no, I, I can't think of anything bad to say about this. I honestly thought about dropping Event Leviathan because it would just, I didn't think it would stick. You know, y'all know I don't like Superman a whole lot. So, I mean, I have started to take a shine to him recently. And I mean, all because of Brian Michael Bendis and Bendis is writing, but still it's, the Leviathan story wasn't interesting to me until this issue. Now I have done a complete 180 and I am all about it. So let's move on to uh, Superman. Superman number thirteen. I uh, <laughs> this is this is a real quick and fast one. More Brian Michael Bendis, Brandon Peterson, Ivan Reese, Joe Prado, and Alex Sinclair on the colors, covered by Reese Prado and Sinclair as well. Really, what this is is this is the events leading up to the destruction of Krypton before Rogalzar comes in and just starts fucking shit up. And it's uh, Jor-El going to the council and the council turning him down and Jor-El saying, well, against the wishes of whatever, I'm sending Superman to Kansas. And yeah, that's, that's what most of this story is until we get a visit by old Lex Luthor to Lois Lane, hands her a box, and she's totally denying the box, and then she opens the box and she goes, what? And that's the end of the story. <laughs> uh, what's in the box? Yeah. Uh, not my favorite Superman story. I, have, it's, I mean, it's got to mean something. I'm, I, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's hard to rope me in on Superman. I was really liking Bendis' Superman at first, but since the Leviathan shit started, and now the, you're the villain, I, I just, I, I haven't figured out if I like you or the villain yet. Anyways, let's move on to Detective Comics. Let's talk more Batman. Detective Comics number 1007. Peter J. Tomasi, Kyle Holtz, and David Barron. Covered by Kyle Holtz. Admittedly, I almost uh, automatically dropped this book in honorable mentions. Because I was not a fan of 1006 at all. And that's only because of my ignorance to the character Spectre. And, and by no means am, am I really a whole lot more educated. I did learn a little bit after this last week's issue. But more importantly than anything, I was extremely entertained with this book. And really what it is, is um, I, I, w what it I was very confused <laughs> with the ending of the last one. Because, yeah, I just, I, I didn't understand it. But now, this makes it, oh, makes the last issue make a whole lot more sense. As one would hope would happen. So we get this fella, Corrigan, and he's being held down by the cult of the Divine Hand. And they're mimicking Spectre's appearance. And this is what confused me in the last issue. Because, like I said, I'm ignorant to Spectre. And so, yeah, I realize that's, this is all... Some cultist work. They're getting into this Corrigan feller's head. Then we go back to the Batcave, and Bruce Wayne's just dicking around in the Batcave being Batman. And Spectre shows up. And that's kind of a big deal, right? And Spectre says, look, Batman, I mean, Bruce Wayne, I don't give a fuck who you are. I, I'm not going to tell anyone. I actually, I really do need your help. I know it looked weird the last time I came at you. I needed help, and they're... You know, I had to <laughs> gloat about this dude that I just killed, and I forgot that I was talking to Batman. So, yeah, no, things are going to be different, and here's what's going to happen. This Corrigan fellow and myself are one and the same, but when we're not together, bad shit's happening. So if you can help me reunite myself with my other self, uh, we could take down this cult of divine, of divine hand, of the divine hand, whatever it is, and, yeah, we'll fucking we'll fuck some shit up. So they go to this church, they, they, they get Corrigan, but this is where this is the coolest part of the book, is um, the church starts burning, and uh, as Batman's trapped, pretty much, but he's still <laughs> hell-bent on, you know, making sure nobody dies, but Spectre, he turns <laughs> into a giant fucking hand, and he just slaps Batman out of this flaming fucking church, and it is one of the coolest two-panel 
comic book shots of the whole fucking week, man. It was, oh, it was so good. Kyle Holtz killed it on this. And, I mean, the book pretty much ends with Spectre uh, reunited with his Corrigan self, and he goes back to New York, out of Gotham. Peace. I'm a man of my word. No killing, bitches. Spectre out. Mic drop. Sorry, I went overboard there. I liked it. <laughs> um, carrying on as I dribble water all over. Uh, I'm glad I have my comics bagged and bored. Jesus Christ, that could have been a fucking disaster. Uh, Batman, number 74. So, y'all know how I felt about Batman lately. I think Batman's back. I think I'm excited to talk about Batman again these days. Uh, issue number 74, Tom King, Mikel Janine, Jordi Belair, covered by Mikel Janine. So we know that Thomas Wayne and Bruce Wayne are trudging through the desert. They're trying to get to this, uh, this pit, dump Martha's body all up in there, bring her back to life. Time to be a family again. Well, they get down into this pit, and as they're doing this, the, uh, my favorite part about this is this book heavily, heavily relies on any knowledge of issue number 57 of Batman. And because issue number 57 of Batman is my favorite single issue of Batman I've ever read in my life, this, it might have just kind of pushed my bias towards this book being so good. Because <laughs> it refers to the, the, the bedtime story that's being told, the really dark one where the other animals are convincing each other to allow themselves to die for the next ones to be able to survive and further. And yeah, yeah. So as Batman, or as Bruce and Thomas are making their way down to this pit, Thomas is explaining to Bruce that he hated that fucking book, The Animals in the Pit Story. And um, it's, it's what made Bruce weak, because Bruce wouldn't go to sleep until Thomas read him that book every night. And he relates that story to Bruce's dependency and addiction to Batman. Well, when they get down into the pit, Batman, or Bruce doesn't take two, I, I, I gotta keep correcting because they're both Batman right now. <laughs> so Bruce doesn't take too kindly to them words, and he attacks Thomas, goes after him. And the in the fucking uh, fight, because that's a hard word to remember, uh, the coffin comes open where Martha Wayne's body should be, and guess what? She ain't there. Bruce, while in the desert between now and the reveal of Martha while Thomas was sleeping buried Martha in some unknown place in the middle of the fucking desert so uh that that's not gonna happen anytime <laughs> I was kind of looking forward to that but I think it's even cooler that he was you know, you know what, fuck it I'm just gonna dump my mom's corpse in here <laughs> in the middle of fucking nowhere so that my crazy dad can't reanimate it in the like it's not the Lazarus pit it's another pit but yeah, you get the point. Um, so yeah, uh, then you get this, you know, they, they, they go at it again, and then the final page is a mysterious hand, with just one hand, crawling up out the pit. So, I don't know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm gonna say it's Bruce Wayne coming out ahead, but at this point in time, who fucking knows? I, 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 re I do really enjoy how, uh, how Thomas really tries to weaken Bruce with this, you know, Bane was necessary, the book made you weak, you're a piece of shit, but now that you're all grown up, we're going to be a family again, and I'm going to be a daddy. So, yeah. So that's all I got for DC Comics. DC came strong. Real strong. Let's go to Image Comics now. Bitterroot, Red Summer, One-Shot Special, David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, uh, fucking Sanford Green, and a whole slew of other guest artists. Um, Sanford Green did the cover. And this book right here was so eye-opening, man. I, uh, definitely a top pick contender, for sure. So we get one, two, three, four, five, six different time frames, settings, and story jumps throughout this. Which well, isn't really anything too new for Bitterroot. Uh, not, I mean, as far as setting jumping goes, especially in the beginning of the story before they're all reunited. But this this gives a whole lot of insight. And I can go through this story by story, but this is something that I really, really suggest you guys read for yourself. Especially the end article um, 
uh, let me get the uh, author's name of this because it just makes this this whole story make so much more sense, and um, it, it's it's a hell of a history lesson too that I wasn't aware of. Uh, so the the name of the article is uh, "Dragging Up America's Darkest Days" and the author is Dexter Nelson II. So after you get through the book, just keep flipping and read that. So uh, to give you a bit of an insight as to what's actually going on, though, we get the origin of Ma Etta coming into the Sangri family and finding her own. She she was leading some slaves uh, back in 1850 to, to safety, Genu's attack, and then we get uh, Matelas Sangri with Moses and Lima. They come in and help. And meanwhile, you know... Uh, a infant Cullen and Berg, or, you know, also with Ma Etta. So, yeah. Then the next story is really the, um, the origin of why Berg is so indubitably intellectual. <laughs> and and that, that's, that is a beautiful three-page story, three or four-page story, man. It is, it is awesome. And every, keep in mind, every single story has their own, their own artist team of artists assigned to it so forgive me for not shouting those out but it's uh, you, you you're gonna learn when you go and you, you pick up this book because if you don't pick up this book you are seriously missing out on something amazing this book this book did get optioned too i think uh oh shit the name of the 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 production company is escaping me but it's no slouch that's for sure this oh man get on bitterroot i can't fucking say it enough uh, then we go to Chicago, and we get Ford, and the, um, and the origin of his, his scar and his trauma, and then we get the real meat of the summer, and it's the catalyst to really the seemingly biggest antagonist to the whole story, and that's, uh, Dr. Sylvester, and how he was involved in the actual Red Summer of May 31st, 1921 in Tulsa, when just... Uh, racial chaos broke out and nothing was done about it and that's really what sparks Dr. Sylvester's need to eradicate racism but he just so happens to be using hate to do it so yeah you don't fight evil with evil man so but uh, dude oh, it's so good and then there's two other stories afterwards uh, one of them uh, the last one being uh, the origin of Cullen coming out of that portal and arriving in that last issue. He shows up all badass and fucking ready to go to battle along with his long-lost, or thought-to-be aunt and dad. Or thought-to-be dead aunt and dad is what I mean to say. So, yeah, now we get that whole... Uh, dude, and uh, I think the name of the... Barzak? Barzak? Or whatever is the name of the... Uh, the, the realm that they're in, and it's really the realm between hell and earth. But uh, that seems to be where all the evil Jinnu are spawning from. So, oh man, that is so fucking good. Go out, I'm going to say it for the 34th time, go read Bitterroot, Red Summer, and then go through, or and no particular order, uh, you could read this first before you actually start. The, the Go out and get the trade of Bitterroot. Go out and get them in issues while you could still find them relatively cheap. Just don't not get this book, because it's amazing. Let's go to Outer Darkness, number eight, John Lehman off Chan. <laughs> Outer Darkness is getting just just how I like my horror books. Uh, I, I'm starting to really fall for the art. First, I wasn't totally sure how I felt about the art, uh, mainly because I just only want to see uh, Robert Guillory working with John Lehman, but... That's, yeah. Uh, but Afu Chan, I'm, I'm really starting to dig it. So, essentially what's going on here is it's referring to a character that was spared by Captain Briggs way back. She was sentenced to death. Briggs says, no, this one's useful. And they make use out of her in this issue by being the guardian of the nun that w they rescued from that weird spiritual haunted ghost space house. Uh, in the last issue. So, they're watching over each other, or she's watching over the nun. Um, what, what, did I say her name? I should probably say her name. Heisdick, or, uh, Mal what is it? Malona. Heisdick Malona? Malona Heisdick, I'm sorry, but she goes by Ensign. Ensign? Ensign? 
I don't know space captain words. <laughs> That's her actual titled position, I guess. So they just call her Ensign quite often. And it took me a few issues to realize, or a few panels, I mean to say, to realize that all of these different uh, names that are being directed towards this character are all at this, yeah, that's all her stuff. So, yeah, just gonna kind of help to fill you in there, just in case you were as confused as my dumbass. Um, yeah, so really what it comes down to is, uh, there, there's an invasion, and Melina, or Malona, uses this opportunity to try to escape, because she is technically still prisoner. She's just being forced, or she's being allowed to stay, stay alive as long as she works and does exactly what she's told to do on the ship. So, yeah. And she, under attack, she decides she's going to take this opportunity to bounce out. Nun says, I want to come. And you get a moment there for a second. And then we get, uh, oh, I forget the position of the guy. But someone else shows up at the end. He's another crew member. Um, not a necromancer. I, I forget what he is. You know, if I can, maybe they'll say in the... Nah, I don't fucking know. But, um, <laughs> he's got a cool mustache and beard. He looks like a little troll guy. Um, <laughs> he's... What he reminds me of, uh... Is, um... Oh, the, the, the fucking troll from Ragnarok. The, I mean, not the troll, the giant. I don't know my words right now. Jesus Christ, forgive me. Go out and read Outer Darkness. Outer? Outer Darkness? Outer Darkness. It's good. And it's really starting to come together, come into itself. Uh, I, I'd say last issue is when I was totally convinced that I am sticking with it. I was going to give myself ten issues, but... Redeemed. Not that it really needed redeemed, but... You know what I'm trying to say. Uh, Alright. Reaver. Reaver, number one. Also, from Image Comics. Justin Jordan, Rebecca Isaacs, and Alex Guimaras? I don't know. Becky, sorry. Becky Cloonan did the cover. Alright, so, in a nutshell, this is Suicide Squad image style. Uh, there's hardly any differences at all, other than the fact that this is much more adult and mature rated. And, hey, which one do you like more, Brian? Well, I'll fucking tell you. I could already tell you that I'm going to like the Reaver team more than the Suicide Squad team. Not that I've read a whole lot of Suicide Squad, um, all the Suicide Squad I've seen has been, uh, on TV, and I'm not just talking about the movie, the fucking goddamn animated shit exists too, guys, jeez, and it's brilliant, but, um, yeah, no, this is really what this is, and, uh, I can, I can give you a list of all their names, I could do all that, but I say you just go out and read it yourself, because at this point in time, I don't know if I should get anybody attached to any of these characters, because... Who knows who the fuck's going to survive the second issue. <laughs> um, but I, I really, really, really... I, I dig it. I dug it so much, man. It was... I, I, I chuckled. It was dark. It's it's adult. And I'm all about it. Do not sleep on Reaver. It will be good. It will be big. Oh, yes. It will be big. Um, go, go, Power Rangers. Starting this Necessary Evil stuff, number 21. Ryan Perro... Gina Grace, Francesco Mortino, Mortorino, sorry, and uh, Raul Angulo, Angualo, Angulo, sorry, I probably had it right the first time, Amelia Vidal, sorry about my names right now, guys, um, this, this is a, a, a Tommy story, so, Kimberly and Tommy, they're on a date, this is a one year after, air quotes, arrival day, and that's after the whole shattered grid thing, everything's put back together, blah blah blah, uh, Rangers gotta face off against this monster, and um, they form the Thunder Megazord, but in doing so, Tommy has to bail, sorry guys, I don't have the power anymore to do this, because his dragon coin is gone, and when the dragon coin is gone, the power is gone. So, well, without that, you can't recharge, and then there's no Green Ranger. This is what this book is about. It's about the, the Power Ranger, Tommy, coping by not being able to be a Ranger. He has to just watch his buddies go off and save the world every time. Meanwhile, this new Lord Zed motherfucker, he's just sending gang of putty after gang of putty after gang of putties to come after because they know that the Rangers are down a man, and they're, they're 
all emotional because they are still teenagers and shit. So yeah, well at the end of it all, Tommy says, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna go head off to this cabin. I I'm on it. What it comes to, I'm flat out fucking jealous of you guys. I wish I could be doing what you're doing, and it's way too hard for me to watch you guys. I'm going away. Goodbye. Sorry, Kimberly. Well, it was nice knowing you. And uh, yeah, and then at the end, actually, we get one more little twist." And Jason is visited by this mysterious glowy figure. I don't know who he is. Maybe he's a new character. Maybe he's an older character that I'm not aware of. But, nevertheless, totally on board with this next Power Rangers crossover event. The last one did very well, so why not give it another shot, huh? Why not? That's all I got for indies, guys. Let's move on to Marvel. Am I going through this too fast? I'm sorry. Uh, or not sorry? I don't know what you guys like. Venom number 16, or 181 in legacy numbers. Donny Cates is back. Juan Gideon and Jesus Arbitrov. Uh, Ryan Stegman is not back, but I forgive him. Uh, cover by Joshua Casara uh, and Rain Barreto. So this is a... <laughs> this is a fucking good Venom book, man. This is the acknowledgement the end of the War of the Realms, and now it's time for Eddie to just go back to being a dad. Or uh, a brother, however, <laughs> yeah, he's got, he's a dad in his head, but a brother in Dylan's head, because he doesn't know that Eddie's his dad. But uh, Dylan gets sick, and I mean, not like a, he's going to die type of sick, he gets a fucking cold. But Eddie's kind of homeless, and he doesn't have money, doesn't have a job, so he's got to daddy up and go get some goddamn Sprite and soup, because that's, that's how white people fix a cold. You just go out and get some 7-Up and some soup. And he doesn't have that kind of money, so he's got to go get his reporter job back. Well, the reporter brings him into the office and says, Oh, Eddie, um, we can't hire you because you kill people bad. And <laughs> that's an issue. Well, Eddie's kind of on the verge of begging, and the editor says, Check it out. Well, since the War of the Realms happened, there's been all these fucking missing kids. If you can maybe help out with this secret of the missing kids thing, maybe we can uh, overlook the fact that y you've killed and give you a job back. Because <laughs> comic books. So that's, that's what Eddie's doing. He goes out, he's detectivizing, being an investigative reporter. He doesn't know how he feels about being an investigative reporter again, but he's investigatively reporting, and he stumbles upon... This this warehouse, but before he gets to the kids, he finds a big pile of, pile of fucking money. And as he's going through thinking, well, do I really need a job when I got all this money? Morals kick in, but also so does a gang of uh, carnage cultists. And you could tell that by their their red dialogue box and the the swirly thing in their eyes, or in their faces, or in their heads, or wherever they put their swirly things these days. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're coming after him. And the whole time, Eddie doesn't want to release Venom. The Venom is gone, but he's still... Um, he's not in his head, but he's in his head. Does that make sense? Um, he's not physically in his head anymore. He Dil or I keep calling him Dylan. Eddie is just Eddie. There is no we. But his subconscious, if you will, is still very Venom-like, and under pressure, Venom is trying to come out, and uh, Eddie's trying to suppress him the whole time, but when it gets to the point where, you know, he's running, or trying to fight, I don't remember what happens with the, the Carnage cult, but he runs, he does find the kids as he's running, or going away, or whatever he's doing, I don't know how you put the words I'm trying to say, he's not in that scenario anymore, the scenario he's in now is him finding the kids, <laughs> there we go, and in doing so, he realizes that the motherfucker that has these kids is this old fuck-knuckle Emil Gregg. And he also goes by Sin Eater. And he and Eddie have this sour history on account of someone between the two of them died. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he has the kidnapped kids. Well, he's there to send... He Knowing that, I guess, Eddie would come after him. And he says, Carnage has a message for you, motherfucker. And this is the message. Look at these kids. Or something like that. And that is enough for Eddie to say, you know what? I'm going to release Venom. And he Venom's out. I don't know if this is 
a metaphorical venom we're seeing because at this point i'm still under the impression that the, the the wishing stones from the witch be gone and the venom symbiote itself is separated so i don't remember the two coming back together again so i do believe that this is in fact just eddie uh, thinking that he's invincible in his head and just taking on this motherfucker. And I believe that, actually, the more I think about it, yeah, no, that's exactly what happens. Because when he goes back to the editor, he says, look, got the kids, motherfucker, but when he does, he's beat the fuck up. So I guess if he had the Venom symbiote, he wouldn't be all beat up in the way he is. So he gets the job, he gets the check, he gets the 7-Up, he gets the soup, he gets to be a dad, Bam. That's a fucking Venom book, dude. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was perfect. I thought it was a great um, post-tie-in, if you will. Post-non-tie-in. I'm not coining that phrase. <laughs> of War of the Realms. Because I thought the Venom stuff in War of the Realms was some of the more spot-on stuff. So, yeah. Welcome back, Donny Cates. Happy to have you. Next up, fucking goddamn Carnage shit, right? Absolute Carnage is what I was trying to say. Moving along. Uh, Avengers. <laughs> oh, pre-chuckle. Avengers number 21, Legacy 721. Jason Aaron, Jason Masters, and Jason Keith. What do you know? Covered by Stefano Caselli and Frank Martin. This is also a uh, post-war the realms non-tie-in. And this is the Avengers just chillin'. <laughs> they're... they're they are all in a hot tub, vulnerable, naked, just fucking being not heroes, relaxing. And without giving all of the dialogue and all of that shit away, this is a super entertaining book. <laughs> uh, possible new love interest with She-Hulk and someone else? I don't know. Uh, I thought Thor was a thing, but apparently she's not worthy of dating a king now. We'll get to that. Um, oh man, this is uh, this was good stuff. It, it really was. Uh, the, there is one Avenger that's not just chilling though, and that's Black Panther. Black Panther is out trying to uh, really expose Coulson for being a not so uh, super USA type of guy, as much as he claims to be with the Squadron Supreme of America, and he's really, he's just weaponized the Squadron Supreme, and BP's trying to, uh, uh, be, I call him BP, because we go way back, Black Panther is trying to, <laughs> um, expose all that, and at the very end, uh, we get a really cool splash page of Mephisto, uh, kind of claiming to have been manipulating this whole thing this whole time. But the most interesting part of this page is Moon Knight. All of the chess pieces that are being played with make sense. But there's an unmoved chess piece, and that's Moon Knight. So motherfuckers, Moon Knight's coming back. Jason Aaron's going to be writing Moon Knight. I'm, I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. You don't just draw Moon Knight on this uh, board of happenings and not move moon knight so oh god it's been i think it's been over a year since we've got to really read any moon knight uh i'm i'm, I'm excited i'm excited it's been a long year it's been a long year but so fast at the same time oh man great great stuff let's starting to wrap it up here once again i'm gonna bring up the the words War of the Realms again. War of the Realms Omega, Jason Aaron, and a whole bunch of others. Um, this is uh, five stories all tied in together very, very well. This is all the aftermath. This is the aftermath of War of the Realms. And uh, it starts out with Heimdall coming to uh, Daredevil, and he's asking him, do you still want to be a god, or do you want to go back to worship?" your Catholic God type of thing and they, they kind of jump away from that for a second and uh, that so the book begins with that story and ends with that story and as a matter of fact I'm not going to tell you how it ends um, but I'm going to talk about the stuff in between because it's super fucking important Jane Foster Jane Foster uh, we all know that some shit went down with her 
uh, her her uh, weapon during War of the Realms shattered, but when it shattered, it reformed, and it looks like it's this bracelet, and she realizes that her hammer was not just um, a hammer. It is whatever she wills it to be. So essentially, she's got this Green Lantern fucking bracelet, um, Asgardian style is what it comes down to. Or it seems like that's what's going to happen. Oh, by the way, she's also Valkyrie now, because Freyr... Freyr... Freyr deemed her worthy. There's got to be a Valkyrie. All the Valkyrie have fallen. It's... Oh, that's, the, that's the big part here. Oh, also, Loki's the king of the Frost Giants. Yeah, that's a fucking thing now. <coughs> oh, <coughs> excuse me. See how excited I am when I say Punisher? Oh, and Punisher. He gets this really cool... Uh, just... Not a whole lot happens here other than him really down on himself for not holding to his word with the guy in the streets that he watched his family so kind of going back to the war of the realms and one of the issues punisher witnessed a man witness his family die by frost giants well the frost giant that killed his family got away frankie goes up to this guy and says i vow on my life i'm gonna get that motherfucker well he still hasn't got him, so he goes back up to this guy as he's mourning at the gravesite and says, "Look, if you never see me again, just know that it was me coming. That just know that I died coming back from killing the frost giant to tell you." So really, what he's saying in the most badass Frankie Kausa way is, "There's no way I'm dying before I kill this frost giant. I'll allow myself to die after I, I fuck some shit up for you." This is just some random dude in the street, man. That's oh. It's so fucking amazing. It is so amazing how all this is going down, man. It, uh, dude, th this this was a really, really good end, ending wrap-up thing. There's a whole lot of Thor being touched on here, but I, have a, I don't want to talk about that because it all plays into the next issue that I'm going to talk about. And if I talked about the two at the same time, it'd just get confusing and misconstrued. So I'm going to leave all of that to Thor number 15, Legacy 721. Um, this is... <sighs> oh, Jason Aaron and Mike Del Mundo, as it should be. This, I think this might be the second to last issue of Jason Aaron's Thor. That's crazy to think, or at least that's that's how it seems at the end. I know that it's coming to an end very soon, but yeah. So Thor is now the... he. It starts out with Odin kneeling to Thor. Thor can't believe what he's seeing. He is, in fact, the king. The king of the Asgardians. And, yeah, that's... That, that's essentially really most of what this story is, I guess. Um, it's, it's Jason Aaron, so... Every page, every word of dialogue is worth reading. Mike Del Mundo really delivers on Thor art, for sure. There's, his style is so on point for what Thor should be. Uh, and Jack Kirby would be proud. But, yeah, no, I don't I don't know how else to, I mean, I guess I could have just said all that in War of the Realms Omega. But, uh... <laughs> I, uh most of what's going on in here is probably all going to be talked about and touched on more in the next issue. So I, I guess I'll just save you guys the, the time and hype you up for the next and potentially last issue of Thor. Um, next up, last up actually, is a book that I almost put into the honorable mentions. So glad I read it. So glad I read it because it does actually make a... Uh, one of my top picks this week, but this is going to be Wolverine vs. Blade. Mark Guggenheim and Dave Wilkins. Dave Wilkins, I'm sorry. Dave Wilkins also did the cover. So, I was... I, I've been excited about this book since Dave Wilkins' cover art of this came out. I didn't care what was on the inside. I just really, 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 really wanted... This is also announced before Blade was announced to be an Avenger. That's how long this book has been teased. I don't know why it's taken so long to come out until I open it up. And I realize that this book on the inside is a fucking masterpiece. Dave Wilkins, sir, are, are just skyrocketed, skyrocketed to one of my 
top interior artists. And that's, I don't remember seeing anything like this before. To me, I believe this is brand new stuff. Um, or maybe he's just elevated this shit, and this isn't my first time seeing it. But that dude put some love into this book. So, essentially what's going on here, Mark Guggenheim's story, it's not all about the art. It's mostly about the art. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you, uh, if you ask yourself, what could possibly be going down in the Blade Wolverine story? That's what's going down in the Blade Wolverine story. <laughs> uh, whatever that answer is. And they're both under the impression that, oh, he's the bad guy. and Oh, this is the prophesized bad guy as well. And they're both going after each other. But it turns out that this, uh, the, the whole bad guy, the actual bad guy behind it all, this Varkas feller, was the mutant vampire prophet the whole time. And uh, he was really just making himself look like Wolverine. And yeah, when it's all said and done, Wolverine, Blade, they team up after they fuck each other up quite a bit as well along the way. And it is so fucking awesome to watch and read and flip through. There doesn't need to be a whole lot of... There's not really a whole lot of dialogue in this other than uh, them pointing fingers at each other and saying, oh, wait, are you the prophet? No, you're the prophet. Other than that, it's just swords and blades and claws a-swinging, man. It is fucking amazing. Every single panel is an 11 out of 10, flat out. It's, it's that fucking good. So that's all I've got for this week's overviews. Uh, there, there was some amazing stuff. All of this stuff is all highly recommended. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to single anything out as to not being recommended. Some more than others, for sure. But, yeah. Let's get on to the honorable mentions, though. The honorable mentions... I'm having a hard time with that word right now. There's all this stuff that I picked up, either didn't have time to read, or maybe was just kind of skipping an arc. Something along those lines. But... Let's let's get on with that. There were a few, not as many as last week, though, I'm happy to say. The first one being Batman and the Outsiders, number three. Uh, to be completely honest, I don't know how this book got in my pull list. I thought I dropped it because I wasn't a huge fan of issue one, and I just didn't really find it to be all that necessary of a read. The Outsiders don't really seem to be a team that I'm flowing with at the moment. So, yeah. That and I think the creator of Black Lightning, his outrage over the book kind of turned me off of it as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, like I said, it's just it's an honorable mention. Another one being Naomi, number six. Uh, this is six of six. I have not read a single page of Naomi at this point in time. She's a... Uh, purely speculative character for me i picked up issue number five i, I skipped one through four because i just didn't have faith in the character but y'all did and made her big so good on you for that i'm not mad at you for it so i can't get them all but i did get issue five and apparently that's the first reveal of her powers or whatever and issue six is supposed to mean something um but yeah so yeah naomi it's an end Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number 8, Legacy 248. Not that I didn't... I did read this book. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. It's just one of those things that I could have just... And I could flat out tell you. Uh, Miles Morales was captured in the last one by a mysterious dude, and he's still captured and being forced to uh, live through memories and stuff that he doesn't want to live through. The end. Uh, it's a filler book. It, it, there was nothing bad about it whatsoever. It was just a really, really fast read leading into something awesome, so... Don't don't sleep on it. Just yeah. Uh, Black Hammer meets just well Black Hammer Justice League, number one. Ah, so to be one hundred percent honest, I, I I did read this book. Well, I think I finished it. I don't know uh, anything about Black Hammer. As a matter of fact, I don't even know who Black Hammer was in this book. <laughs> uh, did Black Hammer show up? I don't know. No one said, Hey, Black Hammer, I'm Batman. Nice to meet you. Uh, they didn't make it easy for me. And as a new reader, that's probably not going to be easy for you. But for you Black Hammer readers out there that are interested in a Justice League team up, this is that. Last honorable mention of the week. Amazing Spider-Man number 25, Legacy 826. This is uh, Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley and Umberto Ramos and so many others. Big six, 
the page spider mania extravaganza and it was a lot of pages of spider-man uh nothing i mean it was them really playing into this new character uh fucking mysterio up i guess that was all pretty cool i don't want to say i guess like i didn't like it there, but there is a reason it's on honorable mentions um may, I, maybe i'm just not a fan of nick spencer's spider-man I don't know. I didn't read a whole lot of Slot Spider-Man, but I like the last five issues he wrote. So, um, I, I, I don't know what Spider-Man to compare it to. I really don't. Truthfully, I didn't, I, I've never really been a big fan of Spider-Man. I just started reading it because I figured I should know about Spider-Man. Some issues have been great. Some issues have been misses. This one for me was a, was a Mr. and Mrs., man. I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a huge fan. But uh, there, there was still its moments of entertainment value, no doubt. It wasn't a dud by any means. I mean, I guess if I had to rate it, it'd be a 5.732. So, bam. Let's move on to the wall books. The wall books, that's the pretty stuff. And because of Absolute Carnage, get used to a heavy wall books segment from here on out. Because... Absolute Carnage is carnageizing the shit out of stuff, and it looks like we're gonna get about four or five carnageized covers a week. I ain't mad at ya. If anything, I'm happy that I'm jumping on this, because I missed out. I, I started collecting halfway through uh, Marvel's Venomized event a, a few years ago. So that's when I started collecting again, and I still am missing a few covers, so. Mm. Mm. Not missing any carnageized. The first one I'm gonna talk about is uh, Venom, number 16. That carnageized cover is dope. A carnageized venom. So, yeah, uh, I, w I there is something I would like to point out, and I'm asking for your guys's help on this because the Facebook groups are being fuckheads. You can't you can't get uh, an answer, a, a straightforward non-troll answer out of somebody on the internet these days. So I'm gonna, well, not I mean the podcast is still on the internet, but. Loyal listeners, anybody that picked up this issue, uh, the the numbering at the top, I, I need to know what yours looks like, because mine looks like you need 3D glasses to see it, like the printer was off, there's, uh, there, there's a pew of blue that's offset in the numbering corner there, so if yours is regular looking, let me know, um, if it's yours is blue too, I guess there's no need to chime in. Or maybe you do. Maybe that will help. I don't know. But I I, I, I need your guys' help. Because it's driving me fucking nuts. That nobody will answer my goddamn question. I can't find pictures of anything. So, yeah. Ooh, next up. Black Cat, number two. Carnageized. Mark Brooks. Dude. Dude, dude, dude. This is fucking amazing, man. I'm not a fan of Black Cat really not a character that really comes out or draws out draws me to her words um but this cover though i mean mark brooks just doesn't miss for me he's he's godlike he's godlike and he's going to start taking over i'm going to you i'm actually going to start buying captain marvel because mark brooks is starting the, her covers at issue number 9 so the dude has an influence on me is the point and that cover is just fucking incredible uh the next carnageized cover is going to be thor number 15 done by mike mccone and nolan woodard this one <laughs> it's thor with the uh warriors three plus one because that's what it is now if you read the war of the realms that was slightly explained and yeah just it's, it's fucking awesome woodard killed it on these co colors i love the colors in this i love how the uh, thor's dressings uh go from blue to red in the fashion that they do it's oh, man such a good cover i'm a sucker for the carnage covers guys i really am uh next up avengers number 21 done by jim jim chung and uh marte garcia this, man, this is another one. Once again, we get to see Thor carnageized on there. Uh, up front, you see uh, carnageized Iron Man. And fuck, that, that, that is such a cool character design. 
Maybe one of my favorite Carnageized character designs so far. And it's not just those two, though. You also get a Carnageized Ghost Rider. But I'm not really seeing a whole lot of Carnageized in there, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the skull kind of has a Carnageized mouth. But it's at first glance, it kind of just like looks like two Carnageized characters and Ghost Rider. <laughs> there is a little bit of red symbiote. Uh, sprinkled throughout Ghost Rider's garb, but yeah, that's not. It, it, it only takes away from the cover just a little bit. If I had to ask whose Venomized Thor was better, though, uh, oh, Venom, uh, probably the one from Thor number fifteen. That one was a little cooler. Just, yeah, yeah, still great though. Still great. Last Venomized cover of the week. Um, I'm actually kind of disappointed in uh, Todd Nuck and Rachel Rosenberg. These are two people that I, I very, very much dig their art, but this cover, especially because it was on the $8 price tag that was Spider-Man this week, this one was uh, rushed at the, at, at the nicest. Really what it is is it's Mary Jane looking in the mirror, and as she looks in the mirror with her regular self, and the mirror is a carnageized version of herself, and really she just looks like a, 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 a melty um, ginger. And then you see Peter in the background, in Spider-Man outfit minus the mask, and uh, his, his ears are really low, I just noticed that. That always bothers me when people, when artists draw ears that are way too low. But, little too cartoony. I don't know. I guess Rachel Rosenberg didn't really fault on this one. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. Usually she's pretty spot on. But like I said, she just kind of looks like a melty popsicle there. What are you going to do? I probably shouldn't have ended on that note with Carnageized. But it's not the last wall book. It wasn't all Marvel this week in the wall books. We got an Art Germ Catwoman cover. And is, is there any type of medium this dude can't fucking kill it with? Uh, I, I, maybe this is digital, I don't know, but it could also very well be watercolor, too. All of the Catwoman covers that Art Germ has done through the Catwoman series, all on my wall. For realsies. So, all of the wall books will be hung this week. Uh, all of the Carnageized covers, including the Spider-Man one, will be hung because, um, yeah, um, I'm not buying all these to put them in a box. They're, they got to they gotta be gloated about for a few months, six months, a year, maybe. I don't know. I think the, the Venomized book stayed up for a year. I've still got a few of those up, those Francesco Mattina ones. <clears throat> mm. But that's not what this is about. This is about this week, not last week. So that's uh, those are my wall books, guys. Some pretty stuff. Some very, very, very pretty stuff. Now let's let's talk about my top picks of the week. Let's talk about it. Let's let's start with the covers. Uh, my my excitement for Black Cat, um, and when I just saw the thumbnail of Mark Brooks doing a um, Carnageized cover, I was like, oh fuck, that's dope. And then I saw Black Cat, and I was like, oh, probably not as dope. But as it turns out, it's way doper than. <laughs> it, it there is some awesome cover art this week. There really was. It's not very often that an Art Germ Catwoman cover doesn't make the top cover of the week. But hands down, Mark Brooks' Black Cat, fucking boom, takes that shit. Takes it so hard with consent. Um, my interiors of the week, that, that, that goes to uh, Blade vs. Wolverine. No doubt. That was, that was incredible. Dave Wilkins, sir, I will be getting everything that you do from now on. That is some top-level fucking artistry in there. And one, you could just do one-shots. I'm, I'm cool. Do, do, uh, do three of those a year, and you'll get that much money out of me a year. <laughs> because I, I very much just dug this book. You could do silent... You could have Charlie Chaplin write this motherfucker. You, you see where I'm... That doesn't really make sense. But you see where I'm going with this. The art is good enough to tell the story on its own. It's that entertaining. Not to take away from Guggenheim. The, 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 I still like the story. I really did. But the art... Mm. Uh, my pick of the week is probably more of a surprise to me than it is to any of you guys, but it is Event Le Leviathan number two. Let me try that again. Event Leviathan 
number two. Sorry, I stuttered like a mother. You can't stutter on the pick of the week. Um, Brian Michael Bendis just delivered. Alex Maliev never fails me. I mean, that... <laughs> come on. But Brian Michael Bendis took something that I had, oh, so little faith in. So little faith in. Uh, almost didn't even... Not, not just not read it, but not even buy it. And it turns out it was my book of the week, so... <sighs> Sometimes your gut's wrong. Sometimes your gut's wrong. Sometimes that's just diarrhea. And that's what I'm going out with, guys. It's been a podcast. I have no creator submission this week, but I will next week. I will next week. I'm so excited for what I have for you guys next week. <sighs> well... Y'all nerds, thanks so much for tuning in. You know where to find. I, 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 real quick, I will say, for anybody that is subscribed to the YouTube channel, you may have noticed just a little bit of a, a lack in production there. I, I do feel like that may need some explaining, even though the YouTube channel isn't as big as the podcast is. Um, it's it's really just too hot to shoot video right now. <laughs> I, I'm going to be blunt with you. I'm sweating on the fucking camera and shit. and. <sighs> yeah, so when I could find a silent fan, I'll, I'll get back to shooting videos. Or when I could um, keep my old ass up past sundown, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot again. So I do apologize for anybody that is a masochist and likes to look at my ugly fucking face. But yeah, in the meantime, I'm here to pleasure your ear holes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Y'all nerds, read responsibly. Cheers. Thank you.